And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. And I am your host, Denzel Washington. (laughs) No, I, um, wow. It's been a crazy last couple of days. I, uh, I was on TV yesterday. Um, one of the national TV stations, uh, it actually started out with a radio interview here in Norway. And then a TV crew came by and filmed a little and did a little, a little spot on uh, Your Humble Hosts. And then that national radio station put, a, um, put up a big uh, article on their webpage, on their Facebook page. And now on Tuesday, I'm going to be on uh, another national TV program where I'll actually, actually be going into their studio. So there's going to be more information about that coming out. It's been crazy the last couple of days. Um, so yeah, I got, my, uh, I got to expose my inner Denzel <laughs> being on Norwegian TV here the other day. You know, all, all of this is stemming from uh, a previous podcast episode that I did. It was episode 28, uh, another solo Saturday, <laughs> so to speak, where I was uh, alone on the mic, no guest, and just kind of pouring my heart out, uh, talking about my interpretation uh of these crazy days uh these protests uh specifically the protests uh over the the murder the homicide of george floyd Uh, so i was talking about that i had a call to action on that podcast episode and uh, a, a big chunk of the norwegian media uh saw some value in that uh so i want to thank them for for uh Giving, yeah, I guess I got some exposure, but they gave exposure to the cause. And I want to thank them for that. Uh, I'm going to do my part. I have a platform now with this podcast, and I'm going to do my part to, uh, to get the word out about what's happening back home. Uh, I'm going to do my part using my platform to shine a light on the problems of systematic, uh, systemic racism. Systematic, systemic, systemic racism. <laughs> I tell you, language these last couple of days has been an issue. I, I, um, I guess a, a, a byproduct of this COVID situation, you know, uh, they've, they've been encouraging folk to uh, self-quarantine or self-isolate if at all possible. And I have been very isolated since March, uh, very little contact uh, outside of my home. Uh, of course, I've been talking with friends on the telephone and, you know, chatting with, with various guests for these episodes of my podcast, chatting with them on video, uh, on a video link and whatnot. So I've had contact with people, but I've had very little contact of the type that, that puts me in a situation where I have to speak Norwegian. <laughs> so, so to have these, uh, this radio, uh, radio interview where I went into the radio, uh, the station, the studio at the radio station, and then to have this film crew at my house and to have to speak Norwegian over a longer period of time, good Lord, that was a tiring experience. So, um, uh, although one can be fluent in a, in a foreign language, uh, if you don't use it often enough, uh, 
I don't want to say I've lost any skills, but I've, I noticed that I had to work, really focus, concentrate, and work to be able to express myself properly. And I tell you, that was actually a big concern of mine um, as far as the TV uh, the, the, the TV interview, you know, with the TV crew coming into my home. Um, boy, that was intense. Um, besides having the, the, the stress of, of having to speak Norwegian the whole time, uh, I had, uh, I, I tell you that, that reporter, that TV reporter really put me on my toes. He, he had, he had a way of questioning. He had a line of questioning that was extremely challenging. And I'm not trying, I'm not saying that he was trying to do anything underhanded in that he was just being a good journalist and he was asking some very pointed questions. Um, and he was, you know, it's almost, and I don't want this to sound wrong, but it's almost as if the answer I gave it wasn't good enough. So he would dig a little bit more and force me to answer um, uh, with an even more clear answer. Um, and again, nothing underhanded about that. He was just being a good journalist. So hats off to the gentleman uh, from NRK TV. Uh <laughs> what an experience. It's very surreal. Never in my life did I think that I would ever be in a position of influence on such an important topic. Uh, never in my life did I think I would get national exposure um, for doing something so simple as a podcast. So, um, yeah. So I have uh, one more date uh, where I have to pull out my inner Denzel Washington and you make myself prepared for uh, for television here. So that's coming up next week, uh, Tuesday. What is that, the 10th of June, something like that? Yeah. So I'm sure I'll have some comments and some thoughts after that, and I'll, I'll get back get back on the air here probably with another solo episode and, and, and talk about that, let you guys know how that went. But, um, you know, it's one thing for me to get on the air and give my opinion about things and talk about things and have a call to action, but none of this would be possible without the help of some people who, because I don't, I've talked about this before. I am not technologically inclined. You know, I have my mixer here. I have my microphone. I know how to upload these episodes to the, to the interwebs, you know, to my website, which is johnallenpod.com, J-O-H-N-A-L-A-N-P-O-D.com. Uh, you can find my podcast episodes there and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Podcasts. So there's a little advertisement for myself. But um, it's one thing for me to, to talk into this microphone, but there's some people who have done some very important things like, you know, setting up my website, uh, helping me with the graphic design of my logo and, and all that stuff. So a shout out uh, to some very important people, Miss Tiffany Troutman. She's been a guest on the podcast before. She's uh, just a wonderful person, uh, a pillar of support uh, for me in my endeavors as both an artist and as a podcaster. Uh, she's been instrumental in helping me build up my website. Uh, thank you to a newfound friend, Mr. Michael Wexler, actually to the entire Wexler family. Uh, they're coming in one after the other with words of encouragement uh, and, and some private messages and private conversations. Um, but thank you to Michael Wexler, another pillar of support. Thank you to Miss Ellen Laland. She is the... Uh, Fantastic graphic designer who's responsible for my logo. Thank you to Jennifer Strand and Russell Morgan for helping me with uh, my website design. 
Um, and most recently, thank you to Miss Barr Scott. Um, now, this is a solo Saturday, but tomorrow, uh, that would be one minute after midnight Sunday, early Sunday morning, Norway time. That episode will be available, a pre-recorded episode from a couple days ago with Miss Barr Scott. I actually spoke with her the same evening after the TV crew had been here. So it was all fresh in my mind. You guys can hear me talk to Miss Barr Scott. Uh, I tell a very interesting story towards the end of that podcast about how uh, Barr and I became known to each other. It's actually me who found her. Uh, so check out check out that episode that's coming one minute after midnight, Sunday morning, Norway time. I guess it'd be one minute after 6 p.m. Eastern time in the United States. And then you guys and the rest of the world just figure out what time that is, wherever you may find yourself. So that episode's coming up. Um, wow. Uh, so, so many new opportunities that have opened up since that that episode 28, like I said, the Norwegian media has seemed to latch onto that. And it's, it's, uh, they're, they're helping me to expand my platform, you know, by interviewing me, by filming me, uh, inviting me to this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, breakfast <laughs> television program that's coming up on Tuesday at a, at a national, uh, TV station. Um, but in addition to those opportunities, I've had three different schools, here in Norway who have invited me in to give like a lecture or a seminar. Um, unfortunately by video, I would much rather be there in person, but because of time and distance, uh, I'm just not able to get in there. And I've already had one of those uh, seminars with a bunch of ninth graders at the international school here in Norway, down in uh, Kristiansand, Norway. And what a, what a, what a, it was fun, but it was challenging. These kids had some fantastic questions. They were basically uh, really putting it to me with their very pointed questions about my view on the current situation in the United States and, and also of my experiences. Boy, they had me digging up uh, stories from my childhood. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, their, their questions, they just dragged uh, a, a good, deal of information out of me. So hats off to those fantastic students down at uh, the international school uh, in Kristiansand, Norway. Um, what a positive experience for those kids. Um, it's not often that they would get to, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not trying to say I'm anything special, but I am in a certain sense unique for those kids because it's not every day that they'll get to talk to someone who is uh, a black American, a black man, uh, also a former police officer. That's a, that's a interesting com com combination for those kids. And, uh, uh, so I, th I thank them for their interest and I, and I thank the teachers, uh, for that invitation. So yeah, just some intelligent, very intelligent questions from those kids. They put a guy back on his heels and made him think for a minute and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, wow. You guys have been watching the news. You guys have been online. Uh, some of you have been on the ground and you see what's going on. Uh, you see what's going on in, in the States. I think, I don't know. I have a positive feeling. I think that the, the current strong protest that we're seeing is going to lead 
to some meaningful change. And I think we've seen the beginnings of that meaningful change already. I have. Have you? I'll give you an example of meaningful change. Well, actually, in all honesty, I don't know if this is meaningful change, but let me just tell you. The NFL commissioner, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Roger Goodell. Uh, gave out a statement. He was on video uh, giving this statement, and he pretty much admitted, he said that the NFL was wrong. He said, we were wrong to not support our black players in the NFL and, and recognize their concerns about the plight of black America. Um, we in the NFL, he says, we acknowledge that there is such a thing as systematic racism, and we acknowledge that black lives matter. <clears throat> now, for those words to come out of such a powerful man as Roger Goodall, to me, that is eye-opening. To me, that tells me that the winds of change are blowing in the right direction. Because it seemed to me, you know, I don't know the man's heart. I don't know what Roger Goodall has in his heart. I don't know the man. I don't know anyone who knows the man. But what I do know is that for years... He did not once give any verbal support towards the fight against systematic racism. He gave all indications that he did not believe that there was such a thing as systematic racism. So that he turns and does the exact opposite and says in his own words that there is such a thing as systematic racism. Black lives do matter, and we were wrong for not supporting our black players. I think that's huge. I think that's huge. I think that can be a catalyst of change for some individuals. Now, it remains to be seen how serious this man is Mr. Roger Goodell, it's, it's, it remains to be seen how serious he is. You know, when the NFL season starts back up, I don't know if there's going to be a, a, a season this year. Who knows? The COVID situation, you know, who, who knows if there's going to be a season. But the next time these players suit up and get on the field, let's just see what happens. Because I can guarantee you there's a good number of players, both black and white, who wanted to kneel in protest to systematic racism and police brutality. I know there's players, you, you have to assume there were many players who wanted to do that, but they didn't do it out of fear for their jobs. You, I think that's a safe assumption to make. <clears throat> but now that Roger Goodell has uh, come over <laughs> out of the dark side, uh, I, I should say, uh, now that he's done that, what will that mean for the NFL? And that is an influential organization. How many millions of people, all told, watch NFL games during the course of a season? So that's a lot of people <clears throat> that'll be influenced if Roger Goodell is serious in what he said the other day about his support. We'll see. But, you know, what's interesting is that at the same time as Roger Goodell says that, you know, he admits that the NFL was wrong not to support black players uh, who, who wanted to protest uh, systematic racism and, and uh, police brutality and unequal protection under the law, because that's what they wanted to pro protest. 
I'm not even going to, I'm not going to address the other side, um, that certain demographic that tried to make it sound like Colin Kaepernick and others uh, who supported him were against the flag. That's just the, the biggest crock of you know what. Uh, that is not what he was protesting. You can hear what he was protesting in his own words. Look it up online. It's not fake news. Colin Kaepernick said very clearly that he was protesting police brutality, systematic racism, and the plight of black America, unequality, unequal protection under the law. That's what he was protesting. So anyway, at the same time as the NFL commissioner says that he is for all of that now, uh, a couple of days before that, maybe three days ago now, uh, the coach of the Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio, I believe is how you pronounce his last name, the coach, uh, head coach of the uh, Denver Broncos, he said, I don't see racism at all in the NFL. Now let's talk about that statement because I think this, let's just shine a light on that statement and what that means. He says, I don't see racism at all in the NFL. I don't know. Is that a form of gaslighting? Um, uh, at the very least, it is a deflection from the focus at hand or from the issue at hand. It's a deflection of focus from the issue at hand. I apologize for my fumbled speaking. I'm so tired, people. And again, my head is probably 65% filled with Norwegian right now. So my English is a little garbled. <laughs> so at the least, that is a deflection of focus from the issue at hand. The issue at hand is not whether or not there is racism in the NFL. The issue at hand is this th whole thing about systematic racism in the United States, especially in police forces, and in the judicial system. That is the focus. So I see a lot of people hanging themselves up. At, yeah, well, well, the coach of the Denver Broncos, Coach Vic, he says he doesn't see racism at all in the NFL. You know, he probably doesn't. I don't think, I'm not an NFL player, <laughs> uh, but I would think that most NFL players would agree that there's no, there's no problem with racism in the NFL. That's not the issue. The issue is systematic racism in the United States. And I guess within the NFL, the issue was um, the inability of players to openly protest, to openly state and protest them being against systematic racism in the United States. That's the issue. Not whether or not there was racism at all in the NFL. I, I see too much of that. that people, trying, people trying to twist... People trying to, you know, let, let me just go back to what I said in episode 28. Just be quiet for a little while and listen. Be quiet, listen, learn, and then become an ally and act. Stop trying to be right. Stop trying to, de to, 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 to debate with the intention of, of, of winning something. You're not going to get a prize <clears throat> if you score points, if you, can, if you can type on Facebook a few zingers and make somebody look stupid. The Denver Broncos coach says, I don't see racism at all in the NFL. Well, you know what? He probably doesn't because that is not an issue. An issue is the stifling of black athletes in the NFL, especially Colin Kaepernick, 
The issue is a stifling of Colin Kaepernick and other athletes in the NFL who had a desire, who felt a need, a justifiable need, to protest systematic racism in the United States, to show their support in that movement. That's been the issue. And, and, and God bless the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell. Goodell? Goodell? Am I saying it right? <laughs> the NFL commissioner. God bless him for at least making that statement. That statement gives me hope. The NFL and the situation with Colin Kaepernick was a, it's, it's been a big issue <clears throat> in this whole debate, which it, it blows my mind that there needs to be a debate about systematic racism in the United States. Why are we debating this? Why is there an argument about this? It's happening. It exists. Everybody saw what happened to George Floyd. You saw it with your own two eyes. The NFL has failed to acknowledge systematic racism until now. So good for you, NFL. Good for you, Mr. Roger Goodell. It's about time. And for those who are criticizing, let me defend Mr. Roger Goodell for a moment because folk are criticizing him, th thinking that he's saying this uh, for financial reasons. You know, he's, uh, the NFL is, has been losing money all along. They're probably going to lose even more money unless they make some sort of a statement now. Okay, I, I get that, but let's give the man a chance. Let's give the NFL a chance because imagine... Let's think about that. Just imagine for one second what that would mean to the movement if such a large and powerful and profitable organization as the NFL were to get on board and become an honest ally. Think about that. Huh? Now, <clears throat> it's a fact it's not fake news. It's not opinion. It's a fact that the United States military has paid the NFL to promote them. You know, making it a big, uh, a big uh, ceremonial event to sing the national anthem and to display the military, um, to display the flag and whatnot during these these NFL games. And that's great. That's great. I'm a former cop. I am a U.S. Marine. I love my country, and that's great. One can feel proud during such ceremony, ceremony as, as, as we see displayed uh, in NFL games. One can be very proud of that. But let's also be realistic because that flag that we see waving in these NFL games, it doesn't, it's not doing, it's not living up to the standards that we have demanded of it with liberty and justice for all. Is everyone getting the same level of liberty and justice? Is that really anything to be debated? And if you accept the reality that liberty and justice is not meted out to every American citizen equally as it should be, when you accept that fact and that reality, how can you then demonize 
any NFL player who chooses to go down on a knee in the hopes of lifting up our flag to live up to the standards that we have demanded of it. It's in our constitution, what the flag is supposed to represent, what our country is supposed to be about and how liberty and justice for all, how it is how liberty and justice should be handed out free of charge. <laughs> it's not something you have to work for. It's something you deserve and you get as an American citizen. So when we see that that is not happening on an equal basis, how can you then demonize anyone who protests? Anyone who protests the fact that that's not happening. Where is the debate in that? I, I see nothing that's debatable in that. And that's not me, me being closed-minded. That's me just looking at the situation as it is. We know that liberty and justice is not equal for all. <laughs> wow, well, that's kind of on the nose, John. That sounds kind of radical. Well, you know, yeah, maybe. And don't get it twisted. My podcast is not going to be, you know, they, they wrote, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they wrote in, um, in, the, uh, in the article on NRK's uh, website, they wrote an art, in that article, they wrote something like, uh, I think the headline was, uh, uh, let me try and translate this to English. Uh, basically, the headline was, um, American former, former police officer in America has made a podcast to bring light to the sub to shine a light on the subject of racial inequality and systematic racism in the United States. That's not why I made this podcast. I made this podcast for other reasons. Uh, like I said, it was a episode. It was episode twenty eight <clears throat> that got all of this attention. If you guys have been listeners of mine before, you've heard I've had comedians on. I've had uh, I had a former. Uh, or I have a current Norwegian police officer who's been on. Um, I've had just an, the, an average Joe from the street who I happen to be friends with. You know, it, I've, that, that's, th those are the kind of people that I've been talking about, and we've been talking about everyday subjects, normal subjects. Um, so I didn't start this podcast to preach or to be political. However, <laughs> uh, I, I will from time, maybe this may, solo Saturday, maybe every Saturday, I'll be alone and I'll speak my mind about what's going on back home because I have the platform to do it and I would be wrong. It would, it would be wrong of me if I didn't use my platform to speak out and, and hopefully reach some people and, and, and pull them into the conversation, not push them into the conversation or push them into anything, but pull them in, bring them in dialogue you know, ju just listen for a minute. Listen. Be quiet for a minute. Listen. And then think and learn and then become an ally. So this isn't going to be a, p a political podcast. Uh, I may have a political episode. Well, let me take that back. This isn't, pl I'm not talking politics here. Not once have I mentioned left or right. Uh, you know, I'm not talking political. I'm talking human rights. And there should be nothing political in that. Like I say, where is the debate? I don't see that there should be a debate on this subject. 
It's a problem. We have, pro- we have a problem that needs to be dealt with. We have a problem that's been sitting there for several, several hundred years, and it's time to fix it. So, again, hats off to the NFL for finally acknowledging that there is such a thing as systematic racism and for finally admitting that black lives do matter. So, moving on to the police departments of the United States. Here's an interesting thing. In 2008, 2015, and 2017, the FBI came out with a report stating that police departments all over the United States are being infiltrated by white supremacists and white nationalists. So again, this issue with systematic racism, and systematic means throughout the whole system, but talking about police, when when the FBI has stated, the head police organization in the United States, they have stated that police departments all over the country are being infiltrated by white supremacists and white nationalists. When they have said that, how can you then, if you accept their data, which I see no reason not to accept this, this data, uh, and you can't say it's some kind of conspiracy to bring down the current president because uh, their report from 2008 and 2015 was pre, you know, it, it predates the current uh, administration. So you can just drop your conspiracy theories. The FBI is saying that the, these these right these uh, right wing uh, white supremacist groups have infiltrated police departments all over the United States. When you accept that, if you accept that as a fact, which any clear thinking person would do, when you accept that as fact, how could you then not see that there is a problem with systematic racism in the United States? Police departments. From, according to this FBI report from 2008, 2015, and 2017, police departments are infiltrated by these people. Now, I'm not saying that to be any kind of a doom and gloom podcast. I, I, you know, I, that's not what I'm doing. I'm saying this for the benefit of information. If you've never heard about those reports before, then look it up. Don't take my word for it. Look it up. And don't look it up on some crazy uh, dark web website. You know, go into the FBI's uh, uh, webpage. I don't know what that is. I don't know, FBI.gov or something. I don't know. Go in, look at it, look at the numbers yourself, look at what they're saying. And if you take that seriously, that alone should be a reason for you to be more of an ally in the current movement. It's, it's, that's, that's very interesting. That is an interesting set of facts when you first accepted as fact that the FBI, what the FBI is saying, you know, um, and then you have to wonder if, if you are a white supremacist or a white nationalist and you infiltrate the police and that, that infiltration process, there's nothing mystical about it. They simply apply to be a police officer and then they go through the police academy and they get, you know, they get their job as a police officer. That's how easy it is. So when that happens and those cops are out on the street, what kind of policing do you think they're going to do? You know, they're not going to be, they're, they're probably not going to apply. You know, there's a reason why they, they're trying to get into the police. They're trying to, to, to have some sort of effect. I would guess that those cops 
from these white national nationalist groups, they're not trying to get into the most affluent uh, or to, into the police departments that police the most affluent areas of the United States. They're probably going to want to get into places like, I don't know, I'm not going to name any departments, but departments that maybe are policing a majority where, where a majority of their neighborhoods are black or brown. Because they have some sort of animosity towards uh, uh, black and brown people, you know that's in their that's in their rhetoric, that's in their dogma, that's in their literature. So I would imagine that they're going to be police officers in those kinds of areas so that they can do their nefarious deeds as racist police. Now I don't know the numbers. I don't know how many how many of these. Uh, um, these white supremacists and and white nationalists i don't know how many of them have infiltrated the police i didn't i don't have the the the, the data on that maybe that's in the fbi's website i don't know maybe it is but how many of these people are police officers now it's it's interesting because you'll hear people uh some people who who, who uh, d deny the presence of systematic racism. They'll say, th say things like, uh, oh, well, most of the cops I know are good cops. And my answer to that is, yeah, they pro most of the cops you know probably are good cops because my inkling is, is this. Most of those white supremacists uh, who are infiltrating the police, they are not policing in those neighborhoods. They're policing in places like Ferguson. I'm not saying they are in Ferguson, but they're policing in places like Ferguson. In places like that, uh, the city in Georgia where Ahmed, uh, Ahmad uh, Arbery was, was murdered. Let's talk about that. It wasn't police who killed Ahmad. Those were civilians. But when you look at what happened in the system, and here we go with that word again, systemic, Systemic racism, when you look in the system, and I'm talking about from the local police and on up through the judicial um, apparatus in Georgia there, uh, where no charges were brought for that murder for what, a couple months at least? Three months was it? March, April, May, yeah, a, a couple months at least? No charges for that murder. How, how does that happen? They were sitting with film of that murder, and yet there were no charges to be brought until the film went public. I don't know. Is that a problem with the system? Could that be an example of systemic racism? I think so. Chances look pretty good for that being the case. Most of the cops I know are good cops. Yes, they probably are. I was so fortunate. You know, so the south end of Chicago, there's a lot of crime there. <clears throat> a lot of crime. Uh, you know, south Chicago, everybody, the south side, everybody talks about that. And yes, it is pretty rotten. But where I worked, it was a fairly affluent area. Um, uh, and, and we were a bunch of good cops there. I was so fortunate, so blessed to work with that good gang of cops gang <laughs> that's probably the wrong word to use that good group of cops <laughs> that i that i were some good brothers and sisters that i worked with there but i won't run with that thought and just expand it exponentially to 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 uh, blanket the entire police community that would be naive that would be ignorant of me 
to think that just because everybody I worked with were good cops, that all cops are good. That's not true. And yet we see people out there in the, I'm not even going to call it the political debate, in the, in the online debate, flexing their online muscles and claiming that any protest against police is wrong or protest against uh, police brutality or systematic racism within the police force is to be anti-police. You know, I'm not speaking these words because I'm anti-police. I'm pro-police, very much so. But I'm anti-corrupt and racist police. I'm anti-systematic racism. Had to drink a little water there. My, I tell you, my throat is... <laughs> uh, it's really getting run run around the track for a few extra laps here these last few days. A lot of talking between that radio interview and the TV spot. <clears throat> I'm not used to talking so much. Maybe I'm talking too much. I don't know. So, systematic racism. I know why I've been wanting to call it systemic racism. It's systematic racism. Systemic racism. In Norwegian, it's systemisk racisme. Systemisk, systemic. Yeah, systemic is wrong. It's systematic. Thank you. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. As Norm MacDonald would say, I don't know too many words. <clears throat> Here's another thing that bothers me. And again, excuse my voice. I'm starting to lose it, so I got to wind this up. <clears throat> I'm starting to lose my voice. Um, I'd like to ask a question, a rhetorical question. Why does it matter what kind of past George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery had? What does, why does that matter? It's starting to float to this. You know, they came out right, not right away, but after a while with Ahmaud Arbery about little things, uh, little encounters with police that he had had. And now they're doing it with George Floyd. I think someone, po I saw that someone posted uh, online, uh, a series of arrests or encounters from like 1997 up to 2005. And I was thinking, what a weak, what a weak flex that was. Uh, when, when you see that someone's criminal record stops in 2005 and it's 2020 right now, that means that they've had at least 15 years uh, without any negative police uh, contact. And to the best of my knowledge, <clears throat> from what I'm seeing from his family and friends, this man, yes, he did have a past at one point that was rather, you know, somewhat blotched, blemished with, with, uh, with some negative contact with police. Uh, some some minor, relatively minor criminal activity. But why is that an issue? When for 15 years, uh, you know, look at what look at what a role a role model he was. What a figure for 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 peace and and self control he was known for down in Houston and also in Minneapolis. Tons of people coming forward and talking about what an inspiration he was for them. Why can't we talk about that? Everyone has a past. Everyone has a past. And that past may not be so good, but what, what about their present? What about their not-so-distant past? What has he been doing 
in 15 for the for the 15 years after 2005 again if i'm correct i believe that what the, this person posts online he he his last criminal um his last criminal action or so to speak was in 2005 so that means he's had 15 years of no contact with police and from what i hear nothing but positive commentary from people in his neighborhood his family and his friends Why does it have to mean so much what kind of a criminal past a person had? This is a, yet another black man, unarmed, who was killed, and this time, over a long period of time, almost nine minutes, slowly killed in front of our eyes on TV. Let's stick to the issue at hand. So stick to the issue at hand, you know, just, just, just be a good ally. Admitting that there is such a thing as systematic racism, that doesn't mean that you're saying all cops are bad and all white people are racist. If all white people were racist, I would have a very lonely existence here in Norway because you know how many black friends I speak with daily? Zero. I have black friends. I, there's a few uh, black Americans that are spread out all over Norway, but they're they're Facebook friends, and some of them I I, I feel very close to. We have some we have some good conversations, and we, and we you know video chat and whatnot. But because of the distance, I never I don't I've never seen them, never even never met them, never shook their hand. So if I you know, I saw a couple of people uh, here in Norway making some comments from the uh, from the article that was put on NRK's website. Uh, already, and, and I just turned it off. I don't want to see the comments, but I saw the first couple of sentences and basically they're trying to throw that so-called reverse racism thing out there. Trying to jump on me for talking about these things on my podcast. Well, you know what? Just because I talk about racism, systematic racism, I'm not saying that all police are bad. I'm not saying the entire judicial system is bad. I'm not saying all people, all white people are racist. I don't hate white people because I challenge, you know, for challenging them to stand up and be a better ally. There's no hatred in that. Why would I, why would I invite someone to be an ally if I hated them? It's nonsensical. I put it before you that anyone who comes with that sort of an argument is, is, is not interested in, and in, in, in furthering dialogue. Just listen to the concerns of the minority. If you're in the majority, listen to the, to the concerns of the minority, please. And I guarantee you, you will feel, for yourself, you will feel much more honorable if you do, if you do that. If you listen to the concerns of the minority, and if you then actively do something to help right the wrongs that have been heaped upon the minority, you can't help but feel good. You can't help but expand your essence as a human being if you do that. <laughs> be, in, be somewhat of an egoist and do something that's going to be good for you. Okay? Listening to the plight of the minority and becoming a good ally is going to be good for you. You're going to feel good. I promise you. 
All right. Solo Saturday. Maybe that's going to be a thing. Solo Saturday. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am John Allen, not Denzel Washington. Well, I'm going to be Denzel Washington on Tuesday on TV here in Norway. But for now, I am your host, John Allen. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home.